A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's start by reviewing the story so far. You have to go back to when Paul planted this church in Corinth and then left town, went to Ephesus, and was in other cities ministering to them, planting churches, and thinking about, with anxiety, the church he had left behind. What would happen to those Christians in Corinth? And so he sent them a letter and instructed them in things that he had uh, felt they needed to hear while he was away from them. He sent them a letter, and then they sent a letter to him by the hand of one woman named Chloe, among others, And in that letter that Paul received, he found out that there was trouble in Corinth, grievous trouble of all kinds. That's what we hear in Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians. That's the letter he sends in response to their trouble. It may be that he sent that letter by the hand of Timothy, who was Paul's right-hand man, a trusted helper for Paul. But when Timothy comes back, whether carrying the letter or just from making a visit to Corinth, the news is not good. In Corinth, although Paul had given them instructions about sort of sorting out the issues that they had, Timothy reports that there's still all kinds of conflict, and so Paul continues to be troubled, tearful, and anxious about what's going on in Corinth. And we heard last time how he therefore resolved not to make another visit to Corinth quite yet, lest it be a painful visit. Instead, he sent sent Titus, another helpful person to Paul, Titus who, along with Timothy, were travelers and missionaries and workers in the church. So he sent Titus and wondered what was going on in Corinth. And Paul continued on his path and went to Troas. We heard about that today. But in Troas, he couldn't focus on the work that was in front of him. He was so troubled by what was going on in Corinth and wondering what the news would be from Titus that he couldn't, he couldn't make head or, heads or tails of it. And he was so troubled that he couldn't even take advantage of the opportunity that was right in front of him. God had opened a door for him there 
and he couldn't seize the opportunity. And so he went out on his journey on the west of the way to Macedonia, finally meeting Titus and hearing at long last really good news. That somehow God's grace had gone to work among the Corinthians and they had listened and repented and they had believed. And so Paul sets out to write 2 Corinthians. That's the letter we have in front of us. And he's reporting to them about his worry for them. You heard it again. My spirit was not at rest until he heard from Titus. His spirit was not at rest because he was so troubled by what was going on among them. But thanks be to God, Paul says. Thanks be to God. There's good news. And here's how he puts it. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, that probably conjures an image in your mind of a parade. And it would be right to think of it as a military parade. So a parade of triumph. Imagine a commander or a general going out to war and winning the battle and coming back into town with, with trumpets and fanfare and all of the crowds lining the streets, a triumphal procession. That's the picture you should have in your mind. But it isn't quite the picture that you think. And here's what I mean. Listen to how Paul talks about a triumphal procession in Colossians chapter 2. Here's what he says. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's taking care of our sins and our enemies. Here's what comes next. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the powers of darkness in this world. He disarmed them. He took away their weapons and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in faith, by triumphing over them in him. That's the kind of triumph Paul is talking about among the Corinthians. Listen to who gets led in triumphal procession. In Colossians chapter 2, it's the enemies. It's the rulers and the authorities who are put to open shame. So here's how it worked in the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. When a Roman general would go out to war, he would bring back with him in victory some of the enemies, some captives. And he would lead them through the streets, putting them to shame, and then eventually executing some of them. That was the Roman general's triumphal procession. So Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and led them in triumphal procession. But listen to what Paul says again today. He's led us in triumphal procession. Now that changes the picture a little bit, doesn't it? Paul is saying that his procession with Christ is not a victory procession, but instead it is, in a sense, defeat by Christ. And that makes sense of what comes next. When he talks about how Jesus is spreading the fragrance among the people who see him, this fragrance of Christ to God, which to some is an aroma of death to death, and to others a fragrance of life to life. Imagine, imagine those enemy captives being brought in procession to everyone who would see them. They would stink, dreadful, awful, looked down upon, death Incarnate. That's what they would look like. That's what they would smell like. In that triumphal procession, there were sacrifices. There was incense, smoke going up. And to those who are enemies, to those who are perishing, Paul says, we smell awful. We smell like death because the world cannot make sense of the cross. This is the thing for Paul 
that he's trying to explain to the Corinthians to be defeated by Christ, to be led in triumphal procession behind Christ as his captive, as one who's been overthrown, overcome by him, that is our victory. The world can't understand it. The world can't understand how the cross, how suffering and affliction, how that can be anything good. The world can't understand how being cast out and mistreated and left for dead, how being thrown into jail, how that can be victory. But Paul says, I'm suffering in Christ. It's Christ who has defeated me. It's Christ who is leading me in this triumphal procession. It is Christ who is my captor. And so, for those who are being saved, it smells like a pleasant aroma. To the rest of the world, it's dreadful. And maybe you have some experience of this. Maybe pastors suffer from this more than most, but I think every Christian does. Folks who turn the other way when they see you coming because you stink to them, not through B.O. or something like that, because they know that you're bearing Christ. That you come with good news and they don't want to hear it. They turn the other way. Or when you bring up the salvation of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the dead, they quickly change the subject. They move on to other things because they can't stand it. They can't bear to think in terms of Christ and his cross and what he has done against sin and the devil and the death that he has taken you through by baptism into his life. That's our experience in this world as Christians, a stench to the world. They can't bear it. That's why they persecute Christians. But the good news, thanks be to God, is that among those who are being saved, it is a pleasing aroma. And moreover, it's an aroma of Christ to God. Your sacrifices, what you suffer, what you endure in this life patiently, offering your whole lives as living sacrifices, those are a pleasing aroma to your Heavenly Father. And to those who are being saved, it is encouragement. It's a pleasant smell. It is a wonderful thing to come into the company in the presence of other believers, to run into people who also trust in Jesus, who also know that the forgiveness of sins is everything, who know that resurrection and life are found in Jesus alone. A fragrance from life to life. Paul has to say all of this because his detractors in Corinth are peddlers of God's word. That's the term that he uses. They're, they're salesmen. They're trying to uh, peddle some sort of wares. And here's the thing, Paul says, the cross, suffering, tribulation, that does not make for a very good marketing strategy. But I'm not a peddler, Paul says. I'm not selling you something. Instead, I am offering you life. As men of sincerity, commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That is to say, the pleasing aroma of Christians is their sincerity in Christ. The love that flows from Christ to you into others. It can only come from God. Every other kind of love is a selfish kind of love, but you have been equipped to love as Jesus loves, laying down your life for others, selflessly sacrificing for the sake of others, giving of yourselves to others, and that, that is far better than anything that Paul's detractors are offering. is far better than anything this world has to offer. It's far better than the glorious and glamorous things of this world. It's better, and that is why the cross is precious to us. Although it looks like death, and although to the world it stinks like death, to you, it is life and salvation. Never lose sight of the cross of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.